0: What is it about Hollywood that everyone thinks that heaven is going to be boring? Think about the movies or even the TV shows that you've seen that depict the afterlife. Are any of them really very joyful, celebratory? I think of movies that I've seen. Uh, 1979's Heaven Can Wait. We see Warren Beatty die. And immediately he's walking in clouds and an angel in a full business suit comes up to him and says, get in line. (laughs) Seems like every movie is either like blandly laid back and dreamy or (laughs) bureaucracy. Uh, 1991's Defending Your Life has Albert Brooks dying and winding up in Judgment City, which is really just a bureaucratic nightmare. 2020's Soul follows Jamie Foxx to a heaven that's both laid back, dreamy, and a bureaucracy. I mean, no wonder that everyone is afraid of death because our artists have depicted this boring afterlife. But if there's one thing that the Bible is pretty clear about is that heaven is not going to be boring. After all, the God who created stars and mountains and babies and music Can you imagine him inhabiting a place that is dull? When the biblical writers get a vision of heaven, the throne room of God, they are overwhelmed. They are filled with awe and wonder. They see things that they can barely describe and that we could barely understand if they could describe it. I promise you, Heaven will not be boring. Well, we have been studying the book of Zephaniah all month, and we are, we've, we're at the end of the book, the last bit, the last seven verses. And these verses that we're going to read, they're a picture of God and his people in glory, in heaven. Now, we need to back up and say that for the people that Zephaniah was writing to, Israelites in the 7th century, they would have also heard these words as um, they would have heard these words as what life would be like after the Babylonian exile. Okay, a few weeks ago we talked about the Babylonian exile was when God sent the nation of Babylon to come and to defeat the Israelite army and to destroy the city of Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, and take some of the people to exile. And so he is saying, this is what life's going to be like back when you get back into Jerusalem, and re- rebuild the temple, and start worshiping me together again. But, since the writer of Hebrews tells us that the temple in Jerusalem is only a crude copy of the throne room of God in heaven, we can also see that this is a foreshadowing of a greater reality, what life will be like in heaven And so if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's word. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. First thing that God does here through Zephaniah is he invites you and me to rejoice in him and delight in him. I have a friend who was told by his insurance company that uh, he was being sued by someone that he was in a car accident with. And he was told that the damages could be so great that they would go beyond what his insurance covered and might even wipe out all of his savings and then some. And for over a year, my friend lived with this dread of what might happen, that how some judge or jury could find fav- in favor of his adversary and ruin his financial future. Well, his insurance company finally notified him to let him know that the case had been settled and that he wouldn't owe any more money. And he never felt more relieved in all of his life. Well, in the second sermon in this series, we talked about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, and how it is the ultimate test, the final judgment, when all secrets will be known and uncovered and our ultimate allegiance will be shown. And and we talked about the fact that Jesus went through another day of the Lord uh, and was judged on the cross so that God could look at us and see us as not guilty. And how that means that the day of the Lord for us, for you, will be a joy and not a sorrow. And what should our reaction to that news be? Not only, my, like my friend, massive relief. But verse, what, is, what do we read in verse 14? Sing aloud. Shout, rejoice, and exalt with all your heart. Have you ever done that? Maybe the last time your team won a championship of some kind. Maybe some other big event in your life. Why do we not sing aloud and exalt with all our hearts in worship? the god who who saved us it's because we're presbyterians we do things decently in good order listen god is telling you it is decent and in good order to worship him joyfully to delight in him and his saving work now some people have asked this question why is it that god Calls us, that he demands that we worship him so much. I mean, isn't that a little narcissistic? To always need to be praised? Well, the first thing we should say is what what John Piper loves to say, which is that uh, we were made to worship. And if God were to encourage us to worship anything else, that would be irrational because there is nothing that is greater than him. In fact, it would be idolatry because he is the highest good, the greatest, the being of ultimate worth. And so to worship him is only right. But the other thing to say in answer to this question is that you celebrate what you love and enjoy, don't you? When you find a a new, wonderful restaurant, what do you do? You, You tell people about it. When I, when I see what I think is going to be the best movie of the year, I start telling people. Last year, I was telling you, got to go see Pig. A couple years, you've got to go see Get Out. Right because, because talking about it, praising it, is part of the experience of enjoying something or someone. And when God calls you to worship, that's what He's doing. He's calling you to delight in Him. He's calling you to enjoy Him. Because... Guess what? He also delights and rejoices in you. Now, verse verse 16 and 17, they make up one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. In fact, one of the most beautiful passages in all of literature. And in verse 16, Zephaniah starts by saying, Fear not. Fear not, even though the first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah have been all about God's fierce anger and his threat to sweep everything off the face of the earth. Here he says, you don't have to be afraid of that. Why? Because the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. God is with you. He's with you and he's not only able to save, he will save because he is the mighty one. And he's not only mighty, Zephaniah says, not only powerful, but he is also tender. And he's not shy with his emotions. What he says next, he rejoices over you with gladness. Choices over you. It's funny how different people greet you, isn't it? Some people are kind of shy about, hello, or they just give you a nod or, a, you know, sometimes I get a, hey, Dorst, or a, a chanted, Dorst, 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 Dorst. That's what Austin Zellner does. But my favorite greeting, I think of all time, is when I was in college, I had a friend named Michael who, every time he would see me, he'd throw his head back and he'd say, Dorst. And he added a couple letters to my name, that's okay. Cause I loved it. Cause he acted like he was so happy to see me. It's wonderful. When people are happy to see you, isn't it? And it is humbling to think that God is delighted to see you and to be with you. He rejoices over you with gladness. And then he goes on. He will quiet you by his love. And you had nightmares as a kid. You woke up screaming and afraid of what was in the closet. What was the only thing that could calm you down? Mom or dad coming in, right? Putting their arms around you, telling you it's going to be okay. I'll protect you. Quieting you with their love. God is that kind of father. And then the kicker in this passage, he will exalt over you with loud singing. Over and over in the Bible, we're commanded to sing to the Lord, sing a new song, sing with, with praise the Lord with a loud voice. And yet here we find out that it goes both ways. How crazy is that? It goes both ways that he exalts over us with loud singing. You know, I love it when I can hear you all sing over the band. It's a beautiful sound. Even though some of you don't think you can sing very well together, it is beautiful. Imagine how beautiful the voice of God is when he sings over you. Well, when? When will all this singing and rejoicing happen? Certainly when we get to heaven, but it is also a reality now. God's joy for us is not just a future emotion. This kind of came out to me this week. I was leading uh, singing at a Bible study and, and I introduced a song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And one of the lines in the song really kind of tripped me up when I was practicing it. The line is, uh, those he saves are his, what do you think completes that thought? Those he saves are his responsibility. Those he saves are his burden, his lucky sinners, No, what the line says is those he saves are his delight. Light. Jesus doesn't just save us because he has to. He's somehow obligated to. He saves us because we are his delight. We're what bring him joy. Unfortunately, almost none of us really believe that, do we? But I think if we did, would lead to true freedom what is what is true freedom well starts with this to let go or overcome our fear of death i'll let you in a little secret almost everyone you know is afraid of death and it it keeps us up at night it keeps us from being courageous It keeps us from thinking too deeply about the most important things in in life. At times, it really keeps us from loving other people. I think William Wallace was right. All men die, but not all men truly live because they're afraid of dying. The reason they're afraid of dying is either fear of the unknown or fear that they're going to get what they deserve. But... If you're in Christ, Zephaniah says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you and cleared away your enemies. And in Christ, what awaits you is a singing, rejoicing God who's delighted to bring you into his kingdom and into his presence. I love what C.S. Lewis writes in The Last Battle. And when we die, we'll realize that we were part of a story. And that this life was just the cover and the title page. And that life, and in the next life, we will begin chapter one of the great story that no one on earth has ever read, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I wish Hollywood could get that in their depictions of famine. Don't you? But we also get a hint of what f- true freedom looks like in verse 19. And God says, I will change their shame into praise and renown, renown in all the earth. And then he says a similar thing in verse 20. I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. Isn't that an interesting promise? To make you praised and renowned. Famous is what that word means. We spend so much time trying to win people's praise and prove that we are worthy of that praise. But God says, the only praise that really matters is mine. And you have it. You have it. And not only that, but in the end, I will make it so that the whole world praises you. Isn't that amazing? Somehow being a part of God's family. Being tied in with God's glory brings us glory. That in the final judgment, no matter what people think of you now, in the last day, there will be praise for us as overcomers in Christ, as kings and priests in God's kingdom. And if you could bring that future truth into your present reality, you will be free in ways that you never imagined let's pray father we have a hard time truly believing what we've just read truly believing that you delight in us that you rejoice over us with gladness that we make you sing we move you to singing. But what a grace, what a mercy that that is true, that that is your truest heart towards your beloved, for those you came to save. Father, we pray that we would see that kind of love that would move in us and move us so much that we would begin to love others in that way, that we would be free to rejoice in one another that way and proclaim that love to the lost. Father, would you you make those things true in our lives? In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.